Thank you for tuning in to Pastor Brian Hallam's podcast series. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter number 8. Praise God, our fast is almost over. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> you know what I almost did? <laughs> Matthew, uh, who does a phenomenal job for us, he loves wings and more. So if y'all want to get Matthew Humphrey a gift card, get him a gift card to wings and more. I do not like wings and more. I prefer Buffalo Wild Wings, but these guys like wings and more. So I thought the other day, and if I'd have had five more minutes to do it, I, I would have done it. I was going to go get three dozen chicken wings <laughs> and bring them to his house and set them down, but I didn't do it. But praise God, the fast is almost over. We've just about made it. Lots of breakthroughs happening. If you haven't experienced the breakthrough that you're believing God for, keep pushing If you haven't experienced the breakthrough that you're believing God for, keep pressing towards the mark for the prize. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Do you ever feel like God has stopped talking in your life? Do you ever feel like that things should be more clear or you wish they were more clear in your life? I had two or three different conversations with different friends this week on that topic. On the idea of how it seems like whenever big decisions are on the table, it seems like uh, uh, God stops talking. It seems like heaven just takes a lunch break or something and you can't get the answer you're looking for. Well, here's the key. Number one, he called us to live by faith. The Bible says it's impossible to, to please God without faith. So by faith, you have to make decisions. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes God won't give you a divine revelation of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But most of the large decisions in my life, as well as the uh, uh, people that I live for God around and that really uh, press press for the mark and I know them to be good, godly people. It's the same in their life where when they're going to make a big decision, it's as if they can't get the answer they're looking for. And they're trying to figure out what should I do, what should I not do when God is in heaven saying, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to make a decision. I want you to pray about it. But I want you to believe Psalm 23 that says my rod and my staff will comfort you. Now, that rod, that's designed to keep the wolves at bay, or it's designed to get you moving when you're not moving fast enough. The staff is designed that when a sheep were to fall in a ditch or get too far away from a shepherd, he can reach out with that staff and pull the sheep back in line. So you, by faith, in difficult times, have to be willing to take a step knowing that his rod will keep the enemy at bay or it will direct you in the way that you need to go. And if you happen to stumble and fall in a ditch, his staff is there to pull you out and put you back on solid ground. 
So what do you do when you can't hear from heaven? So many times we understand and believe that God has taken us from glory to glory, but it just doesn't seem like it. It seems like we're in the valley. It seems like everything's quiet. It seems like I can't get anywhere and I'm pressing in towards God. It seems like my wife's getting further away from God or I'm pressing in towards God. And it seems like my husband's just on cruise control. I'm pressing in towards God and my boss starts calling me into work 17 million hours and I can't even get to church on time and I'm pressing into God and everything's going wrong every time I turn around I got a flat tire what am I going to do oh God here's what you do Mark chapter number 8 beginning in verse number 11 let me give some background first Uh, Jesus had just gotten done feeding 4,000 with 7 loaves of bread and just a little bit of fish and the Bible says that when everybody had eaten that there was 7 baskets left over of bread The Bible then says that Jesus gets on a boat and he goes across. And it says the Pharisees came forth, verse number 11, and began to question him, question with him, seeking of him him a sign from heaven, tempting him. Did you know your life would be a better life if you were really good at recognizing temptation? Temptation comes in all kinds of forms. Temptation comes in a thousand different ways and a thousand different shapes. But the bottom line is if you can get good at recognizing temptation, then you can get good at answering temptation. Because there will be people that will come to you and listen to this. They'll say like this. They'll say, tell me about God. And it's an opportunity for you to pour into their life the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But then there are other people that will come to you full of hate, spite, and all kind of wickedness. And they say, oh yeah, tell me about your God. Ha, ha, ha. Now if you feel led of God to do it, that's fine. But on the other side of it, we don't cast our pearls before swine. If you feel yourself being tempted... You don't answer the same way that you feel somebody's heart opening to you in order to pour in. So many times we get to the place where we feel like as Christians we have to treat everything exactly the same. Now listen, we do not judge people. That's God's job. But we certainly judge actions. And if somebody is constantly cussing you out and all this other stuff and then in the middle of it they go, well, tell me about your God. Ha, ha, ha. You are not bound to talk to them in the way that you would talk to the four-year-old that says, will you tell me about Jonah and the whale? It's a different conversation. And if you can get good at recognizing temptation, you can get good at learning how to answer temptation. Here's the deal. The devil will never tempt you to go to church. Never. He'll tempt you to stay home. He'll tempt you to cut the grass on Sunday morning so you can watch the game Sunday night. He'll tempt you that, man, there probably won't be many people on the golf course, so why don't you play Sunday morning? He'll tempt you to go on, a, on this or on that. He'll tempt you to do something, but he will not tempt you to go to church. So whenever you begin to feel the enemy begin to tempt you, it's your responsibility to recognize the temptation the way Jesus recognized the temptation. Verse number 12 said, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. And said, why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Isn't that interesting? Jesus went around healing the sick. That sounds like a sign to me. Jesus turned water into wine. That sounds like a sign to me. 
Jesus did all kind of miracles, and every one of those would be a sign of who he is. But when he was tempted by wickedness and people trying to trip him up, he said, not you. If you want to hear from God, get to your thoughts. Did you know you'll never curse somebody that you're willing to pray for? Did you know you'll never curse your wife if you pray for her? Did you know you'll never curse your children if in the morning when you're walking out the door, you just walk by and touch them on the head and say, in the name of Jesus, I declare this is a blessed child of God and I ask you to bless them all this day. Kiss them on the head and walk out. You're going to have a hard time blessing what you're cursing. So along the way, we have to get good at recognizing what's temptation and what's not. Because whenever you're willing to seek after God, there'll be plenty of signs and plenty of wonders. But if you want to tempt the Lord, if you want to get all uh, uh, religious and uppity with Him, the Scripture says right here, there's not going to be a sign given to you and the people that you're acting like that with. Verse Verse 13 says, And He left them, and entering into the ship again, Departed to the other side. If you can't do anything else, learn to turn and run from temptation. The strongest word outside of Jesus is sin. The strongest word outside of Jesus Christ is S-I-N. The way I know this is because it was sin that created the great cavern between God and man. It was sin that created the opportunity for you to walk hand in hand with the God who created you and be away from Him and stuck out in the cold somewhere. It was sin that causes you to be tempted. It's sin that causes you to trip and fall. It's sin that messes with your family. It's sin's the reason that we have thorns and thistles and all kind of problems in the world. It's sin's the reason that we have sickness in the world. It's sin that's the reason that we have divorce and hurt and anguish in this world. Not because I personally sin, therefore it comes on me, it's because there was a sin that took place thousands of years ago in the garden and all of a sudden the world that we live in was cursed because of it. Now Jesus became a curse for you and me so that we don't have to live under those guidelines, which is why when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, O Lord, he said, pray like this, let your kingdom come here. You're not a citizen of this realm anymore. You're a citizen of that kingdom. And if you can walk like a citizen of that kingdom, then you can experience the benefits of being a citizen of that kingdom. So along the way, you have to recognize that sin is not... It comes so simple and so quiet and so sneaky. And the Bible calls it the wiles of the enemy. The wiles, literally the trip hazards. All these kind of booby traps that the devil's got for you. And it might look like something simple. And before you know it, you're over here. And we're having praise and worship. And you got your hands in your pockets trying to figure out, I'm so sick and tired, God's not looking at me, I messed up again. And it's all because sin separated you from the ability to get into His presence with boldness. Sin. S-I-N. When you are tempted, it is the next stage. Let me say this. Temptation to sin is not sin. When the enemy throws a fiery dart at your mind, which, by the way, it's where it all starts, 
Everything begins with a seed. Every big oak tree began with an acorn. Everything begins with a seed. And the enemy's throwing seeds into your mind saying, you're not good enough. Saying, you'll never make it. Saying, look at this. Look at that. Nobody will know if you'll just do this. You ought to talk about them like this. And when those things come into your mind, your first thought you are not responsible for because it's a fiery dart of the enemy. So quit repenting for being tempted and start being glad that you're an overcomer by Christ Jesus. So many people, and myself included, ten years ago, I would come to church and i say, Oh God, I can't believe I had that thought again. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, That wasn't your thought. I wish you'd quit apologizing for the devil. So many times we get these thoughts in our mind and then we live in this state thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. The fact that you didn't do what you were tempted to do says you're on the right track. Says you're moving forward. Says you're pressing towards the mark. And here's the thing. If you'll live a life of resisting the enemy, guess what? He's got to flee. He's going to go away from you because he can't deal with Jesus. And when you're water baptized, the Bible says you put on Christ. He can't mess with you. Any idea or anything that's contrary to the Word of God, when you became a blood-bought Christian, anything that's contrary to the promises of God are from Him and not from yourself. And if you'll quit repenting for something you didn't do, you'll be able to move on a lot faster. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let's get good at recognizing. Let's get good at understanding temptation. You don't deal with temptation the same way you deal with everybody else. You don't deal with temptation the same way. There's plenty of times, man, I love it, where Jesus, the Pharisees would come and they'd say something to him, and he wouldn't even talk to them. One time he just reached down and started drawing in the dirt. Whatever. When you're tempted, turn the other way. Now the disciples, when they got on the boat... So he got on the boat, entering into a ship, again departed the other side. Verse 14 says, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. The disciples felt unprepared. How many times do you feel unprepared? How many times do you feel unqualified? How many times do you feel like you can't do it The way you're called to do it. I don't know the Bible good enough. My family was this and never had any of that. I'm this way, I'm that way. Everything about your life, if the enemy could convince you of something, he would convince you that you're not qualified for where you're going. Can I tell you a secret? I feel that way all the time. I'm not qualified. I was born just like you. I was born... I did things I'm not proud of. I said things I shouldn't have said. I hurt people I wish I hadn't hurt. But in my life, Jesus said, I'm here to fix that. I'm here to cover that. So the reality is, is you're not qualified. But He certainly is. And when you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, you don't go to God on your own account. You don't go to God on your own level of righteousness. You go to God on who He is. So when God looks at you, when God looks at Leo, He doesn't see Leo. When God looks at Tanner, He doesn't see Tanner. These guys are going to stop sitting on the front row. 
I keep talking about them. God doesn't see Tanner. God sees the blood of Jesus. You're qualified. If you said yes, you're equipped. If you said yes, you're in the family. Did you know, uh, I grew up in a family, and my dad and mom were entrepreneurs, still are. And they would have, uh, they had several different businesses. I'll just name a few of them. We lived in a very small town. Uh, bus station, um, um, boot and shoe repair, leather shop, washeteria, dry cleaning plants, mattress store, pager store, cell phone store. Um, was, uh, I don't even know how to call it. Timber industry contractor. You know, just boom, boom, boom. Just right down the line. And there's probably another dozen others that would be called businesses or projects or whatever. But the bottom line was, is uh, there was always a bunch of people around. And at the, at the dry cleaning plant specifically, there was always a bunch of employees and people that worked uh, for my parents. And, and I remember that, that my life consisted of this. It consisted of church, of school, work, and sports. So if I wasn't in church, I was either at work, school, or doing sports. So the family was always together. It was a wonderful, uh, I really enjoyed growing up. But anyway, uh, I would come into the office and, and, and in my dad's office, you know, it, it was, it, he was always has, he always had his door open. It was always okay to come in. And then there was another room where, where most everybody could go into. But then there was another room where there was a safe where the nightly deposits were kept. Now, now, uh, he had managers and very trusted employees and stuff like that. And there was some that really didn't need to knock when going into his office, but most needed to knock. And there was maybe one or two that were allowed into the area where the safe was. But there was nobody that was allowed into the safe. They all worked for him. But me... I would come bebopping in with my backpack after either walking to the laundry or somebody bringing me to, to work or whatever. And I would walk in my dad's office and the thought of knocking never crossed my mind. And I would walk uh, into his restroom because he had a restroom off of his office. And I would go to that restroom, not the other restroom. And the thought of asking if I could never crossed my mind. And I would walk into the other room where the safe was. And if he needed something, he would just say, get me the deposit from last night out of the safe. And I'd do, 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 boom, 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 here you go, pop. And I never thought about the access that I had. Because you see, I was not a hired person. I was a son. So in your life, you're qualified. Not because you're the best at this. Or the best at that. But because when you said yes to Jesus, you became his child. You don't go to God on your own accord. But it's the blood of the Lamb that grants you access. Continuing on, even though I'd like to stop there for about a month. Verse 15. The disciples just got done saying, Man, we forgot some bread. We barely have one loaf. Verse 15, Jesus says, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Verse 16, and they reasoned among themselves. The disciples talked among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. 
They thought he was saying that because they didn't have any bread. And Jesus said in verse 17, Why reason ye because you have no bread? Why, why are you even talking about the bread? Don't you understand? Perceive you not? Neither understand? Is your heart hardened? Have you your heart yet hardened? You see, when he spoke of the leaven, he was talking about the sin, the deception, the religious nature of the Pharisees. And I hear time and time again people say, well, we're not supposed to judge. Now hear me in this. That's baloney. We do not judge people. We do do not judge souls. But if you do not judge what's coming through your TV into the eyes and the ears of your little ones, who is? If you don't tell them this habit is bad for your body and will kill you one day, if you don't judge that, who will? Now listen, we don't judge people. If somebody's struggling with something, we will believe God with you and by faith we'll speak the Word of God. But if somebody lives for God, if somebody loves God, it's our responsibility to say, no, 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 no. If the Bible says it's right, we just believe that. And in the same breath, if the Bible says it's wrong, that two men ought not be married, then we say it's wrong. We're not saying, you know, we don't like you or anything. We love you. But we're not compromising this book for anybody. Jesus said, beware, look out. Pay attention to. Take heed. Make sure you understand what these guys are saying so that it doesn't get in you. There is a difference between the way they're talking and the way that I want you to talk. So much so that when I hear this nonsense, even me, the Son of God, got on a boat and went the other way. Listen, if you're going to win souls at the bar at midnight, and I have good friends that do... The, some uh, Reuben with the, uh, uh, the tribe of Judah, Brother Sam with the tribe of Judah. Those guys, man, they go into the hardest place. Place a guy like me, I walk in looking like this, I got trouble. I just tell you. I saw Reuben the other day, downtown Bryan. <laughs> had his son with him. It looks so good with all the biking stuff, you know. They're tough looking, I'll tell you that. I said, man, what you doing? My wife had never met him. He said, we're about to hit some bars. <laughs> and he goes to me, he goes, and he walks up, he says, hey, Pastor Brian. As we'll walk off, and Crystal goes, wow, so they're about to go to the bar, huh? I said, yeah. She said, they must be serious. I said, they're serious. They're for real. If that's you, that's fine. But listen to me. If you're just going to the bar thinking, well, I'm just going to go and hang out and roll with the pigs... But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wash the mud off real quick. Jesus said, beware. Pay attention. Take heed to the leaven, to the sin of the Pharisees. And they argued among themselves, arguing about, oh my gosh, he's talking about bread because we didn't bring any bread. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus knew it. He said to them, why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand is your heart yet hardened? 
Jesus said, stop talking about the bread. Stop talking about the fact that you think you're not prepared because I am with you. When you feel ill-equipped, don't talk about your shortcomings. Talk about the fact that He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. Because where He is, there's always going to be an option of victory and success. He continues on to say this. Having eyes, see ye not? Do you not see, guys? Having ears, do you not hear and do you not remember? Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said 12. Verse 20, when the seven among 4,000, when I had seven loaves of bread and there was 4,000 people, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Seven, they said. Verse 21, he said, How is it that you don't understand? Here's what Jesus said. It's not about the bread. It's not about your preparation, even though you ought to study to show yourself approved and you ought to be prepared in season and out of season. But it's not about you. It's not about getting on the boat and going, I hope I brought everything. It's about saying, if he's on the boat, I'm going with him. If he's on land, Peter, I'm going to jump out and swim to shore. Wherever he is, I'm going. Because I've seen him do too much in my life. He said, you don't need bread. You need me. I close with this. When you don't know what to do, a lot of us fasting, see, we, we think of fasting, we think, oh my God, here comes breakthrough, thank God, which is true. But if you look at the areas where the people of God fasted, they fasted through hard times, and generally it got tougher while they were believing God. Then breakthrough comes. But here's the deal. What do you do When God seems to not be answering. Can you put on the screen verse number 18, please? It says, having eyes, see ye not. When it seems like you can't see God moving, what do you do? Having ears, hear ye not. When it seems like you're doing everything you know to hear the voice of God, But you're not. Here's the key. Remember. You see, in the difficult times, that's when you go, I remember how God saved me and set me free. I remember when I was praying for a job and miraculously God provided. I remember when I was sick. No, 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 no. I remember when my baby was sick and all I could do was pray. I remember when it feels like you can't see and it seems like heaven is quiet. 
remember time and time again through the Old Testament and the New the testimony of the Israelites being brought out of Egypt was constantly spoken again and again so that you could remember in the times when it seems like you're in the valley. Could you stand to your feet, please? If you're in the building today and you say, sometimes it seems like I don't hear God, but I'd like to. Sometimes it seems like I don't see God, but I'd like to. You're not alone. It's actually the standard because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that you cannot see. Faith is all about not seeing and not hearing. Isn't that weird? You know, it's not, it's not, not difficult. If God were to show up with Gabriel with a big flaming sword at your bed every morning and say, okay, get up and drive this way and go this way. That's not faith. That's obedience. And we're glad to be obedient when the Lord speaks. But most of your life will consist of you walking by faith. And the key to staying the course in those valley seasons between glory and between glory is to remember what God has done for you. Remember what God's done for your family. Remember what God's done for your church. Remember what God's done for His people. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.